Well, hello once again. Pastor Brown from Akron Alliance Fellowship Church here in Akron, Ohio at 688 Diagonal Road. If you don't have a place to worship or you'd like to just come and fellowship with us, come on out. Uh, we'd love to have you with us. But uh, happy Mother's Day to all those mothers. Uh, God has gifted us with some wonderful, wonderful, wonderful mothers. And we just want to say thank you for such a great job. Uh, it's not easy. So I want to encourage you, continue to do what you're doing and raising up the next generation of saints for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And I I pray as a mom that you would be one who would open the scriptures with your children and have time with prayer with them and, and just be able to just Help groom them in the things of the Lord. Uh, it's a blessing when mom takes time to really teach. And today, they seem like there's so few men in the house or in this thing called family uh, that a lot of women have had to step up. And I praise God for that. And uh, it would not for women, half our churches would not be open even. Uh, so... We owe a great deal to the women of today and their faithfulness to the Lord. And uh, men, somewhere we got to step up. I don't know when, but uh, that challenge has to come. That uh, we step up and be the godly men that we're called to be for the Lord Jesus Christ. But women, uh, mothers, I again just want to say thank you for all that you have done and that you're doing. And just keep the good work up. Uh, the God, our God, has a special, special reward for you. Uh, for the fruit of the womb is his reward, not ours. And you're taking care of God's child. Not so much your child, but God's child. Amen. Well, <clears throat> we're going to continue on in this area of end times. Uh, recognizing that we don't know the times of when certain things are going to take place. We don't even know the exact order in which they're going to take place. Some things we do know have to happen before other things take place. But we really just don't have a real detailed step-by-step order. But we have enough to do what Jesus told us to do, to be watchful, and to be ready. That's what we are to do. Be watchful and be ready. Now being watchful doesn't mean to sit around doing nothing. It means you're actively witnessing and doing the work that the Holy Spirit would guide you through. And uh, But you're always consciously knowing that you are looking for the coming of the Lord. Now, the section that we are going to be reading today, it depends on where your position is of how you will take it, uh, whether you pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib. And again, I want to iterate to you, uh, I'm not trying to teach a pre-trib or post-trib or a mid-trib. I'm not trying to teach one of those theories. I'm trying to teach what God's word says. But sometimes when we're looking at it, 
some people who hang on to one of those theories tried to say, well, uh, this I won't experience because I'm out of here. This won't happen because of this. This won't happen. Um, I would love to be on the first flight out of here. What I do know is this. I'm not appointed to God's wrath. Uh, anyone who really loves the Lord Jesus Christ were not appointed to his wrath. And we need to understand that. God is going to keep us. And we're going to look at some scripture on that before we get into Revelations and back into Second uh, Thessalonians. That We're not appointed to God's wrath. The people who love the Lord Jesus Christ, who serve the Lord, who are called by his name, who are his saints, uh, we're not appointed to God's wrath. The uh, problem that we're having sometimes is when does that take place? Uh, I don't see wrath and trial, those two words, uh, together per se. Uh, trials have its meaning and uh, wrath has its meaning. And I see them a little differently. And it's okay if you disagree. And, and uh, my whole thing is that I'm just trying to stay with what Scripture says. And uh, I'm not appointed to his wrath. And if you are a believer in Christ, you certainly are not appointed to his wrath. And somehow uh, Jesus is going to take us out of here, which we call the rapture, before some of these things take place, because they would be in God's wrath. Now, that's the problem that we have, is identifying when does this wrath really start. And... Uh, I'm not going to be the one trying to really say this is the exact day or hour and because we're right back to where we were before. Uh, no man knoweth the day or the hour that some of these things are going to take place. But what we do know is this is going to take place. It's going to take place. Why? Because it's in God's word. And because it's in his word, we need to have understanding of it as much as we can. So let's pray and let's get going into God's word and just pray that the Holy Spirit will lead us and guide us and that he will be the one who ministers to us. Amen. Father, we want to thank you and praise you, Lord, for another wonderful, wonderful week. And thank you, Lord, for taking care of us and watching over us and just ministering to us day in and day out. And Lord, we thank you that we can truly say that you have kept us, Lord, we have not been able to keep ourselves from the conflicts of this world. But, Lord, you've kept us. And for some of us, Lord, you've given us the victory. You've given us the ability to overcome. And we thank you for that. But we pray, O oh God, that you will continue to just prepare our hearts for what is yet to come. And that you would reassure us that, Lord... We are your people. We are in Jesus Christ. And that one day we're going to see him face to face. And Lord, we just thank you for the promises that you have given unto us. Now speak and we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, let's look at this area just for a moment that we are not appointed to his wrath because we're not. And we need to understand that. 
that uh, there is no condemnation unto us because we've already in one sense been judged and yes we're going to sit at the judgment seat of Christ but as far as being with the Lord as far as being in heaven that issue has been settled some time ago the moment you accepted the Lord Jesus Christ and in Romans 8.1 it doesn't use the word wrath but I do want you to take a look at this with me because it just come to my mind but look what it says therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in and the important word there is in are you in Jesus Christ that's what's important are you in Jesus Christ there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus and I want you to understand that, that if you're in the Lord Jesus Christ and you have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, you are not going to find any condemnation. Now, yes, you will stand before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account for how you were obedient to the Holy Spirit and to the word of God. Uh a lot of people think that somehow because you're saved, you'll never be judged about anything. No. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And we're going to be judged on how we kept his commandments, how we yielded to his leadership through the Holy Spirit. Uh, we're going to give an account for all of our deeds, whether they be good or bad. We're going to give an account for our action because we belong to him and we are his. And we're going to give that account. But we're not appointed to wrath. Wrath is his anger. His vicious, furious anger that will come upon the disobedient and the unbeliever. His wrath is not for his saints, those who believe in him. Now, I'm not talking about nominal Christians either. We have a lot of folks who call themselves Christians today and really are not Christians. They're Christians, but they do not in any way belong to his church. Do they try to work in his church? Do they try to discover what their spiritual gifts are? That they try to use their spiritual gifts? That they are obedient unto God and his commands? There are so many areas that they leave out because they're trying to live life in a manner that is just pleasing to themselves rather than pleasing to God. And when you find people who are constantly trying to use God to make life just better for them, most likely they don't know the Lord. They're welfare Christians. It's just a give me, give me, give me, but there's no giving back to the Lord. There's no serving the Lord. There's no hunger or real desire to know the Lord or to walk with the Lord. And, and I'm not saying you should be perfect, but there should be something in your life that says, I want to live for the Lord. And you demonstrate that. And it is very prevalent that people can see it. People don't have to guess about if you're a Christian or not. It's very much so demonstrated by the way in which you live. A lot of people live who say that they're Christian, 
live more under the commands of Satan. And you can really say that's the child of Satan. Why? They live in darkness rather than light. They do the things of their father, as Jesus said. You do the things of your father, he said to the Pharisees. And they're doing the things of their father. They are the ones who are doing the things that are totally against God's word. We don't have to sit here and try to name these things out. But sin, you will not live daily in sin and know the Lord. I'm not saying you won't sin. But thank God there's an advocate with the Father who we can go to. And we know we can ask for forgiveness and we'll be forgiven if we are sincerely asking with a sincere heart to be forgiven. But too many people live daily, day in and day out in sin. And they know it's sin. They know it's against God's word. And yet they live that way and have no conscience of breaking from that lifestyle. And that is an issue with the church and with true believers. With those who want to say they're Christians and live in such a manner. Now understand again what scripture says, to whom much is given, much is required. Now, ignorance, God winks at. If you choose to stay ignorant, God winks at that because God has made it known through his word here how he expects us to live. And he has set forth a certain behavior for Christians, for godly men, for godly women, godly children. He covers all of us. And it's up to you and I to get into this. And understand what God expects. Not what I think. What I should know that comes from this word. And that's what's important. Now, that area where we're not appointed unto his wrath. We need to really understand that. Because we're not. And I want to make that very clear. Go to 1 Thessalonians 5.9. Because he, he tells us there that we're not appointed to the wrath of God. And don't never allow someone to tell you that you're going to go through God's wrath. Now, I'm not saying there won't be some tribulation, there won't be some trials, there won't be some testing. Again, I'm looking at the two words that are different. And he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, He says, for God did not appoint us to suffer wrath. We were not saved for the purpose of him pouring out his wrath upon us. That is removed from us. The moment we accept the Lord Jesus Christ, and I want to say this because I cannot be the judge of men's hearts and and the heart is deceitfully wicked and who can know it but God. But God does know our hearts. And it's a sincere heart. And if you really ask the Lord Jesus Christ to be your Savior, and you just weren't doing it because somebody was leading you through a prayer, or you were just doing it to satisfy mom and dad or grandma or grandpa, you were just doing it to satisfy some friends, you're not really saved. 
You said some words and you you remember that you said some words. But did you say them with a sincerity of heart, truly meaning that you wanted Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sin and be Lord and Savior of your life? Did you sincerely mean that? It makes a difference if you truly meant it or you just said the words because somebody told you, follow me in this prayer or say these words. It's something that has to come from you. And it has to be your true confession that you truly believe that Jesus Christ died for your sin and that God brought him back from the grave and that he ascended into heaven and he lives there with the right hand of the Father. You have to really come to a place that you're willing to believe that and that he's coming back again for his own. Do you really believe that Jesus Christ is alive and that one day he's going to return? Because that's what we're going to be talking about. Because one day he is. And he's going to return, not for the purpose of salvation, giving men salvation. He's going to return and ask for you to give an account of why you did not receive him why you refused and why you rejected him. So he says, for those who are saved, again, for God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. To receive salvation that removes us from his anger. We're no longer at war with God. We're no longer fighting with God. And there was a time that we all deserved his wrath. Go over to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 3. There was this time that, yes, we all were deserving when we were outside of Christ. And when you were not in that body of Christ and you had not accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, you deserved the full measure of God's wrath upon your disobedience to him. So he says there, Ephesians 2, 3, let me get there. He said, all of us also lived among them at one time. We all were sinners. That's why he says, all have sinned. We all lived among unbelievers and sinners at one time. I could even say this. We all have sinned and lived in a sinful manner, in a sinful state. We were living without Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of our life. And there are those who say, I haven't done anything wrong. I've been good all my life. You are still without Christ. And therefore, you are a sinner. Because there is something in your life because you even refuse to accept the Lord Jesus Christ, would be the greatest sin, the rejection of him, of his love, and a denial of the work that he did on Calvary on our behalf. And he says, all of us also lived among them. Them who? 
the unbelievers. We were all unbelievers at one point. We didn't come here out of mom's womb shouting, Hallelujah! Praise the Lord! I love the Lord Jesus Christ. We didn't come forth from the womb in that manner. And it was some time before many of us came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Praise God for those who accepted the Lord at a very early, early age. I didn't accept the Lord until I was in my late 20s. And uh, that changed my life. And that's the part that we have to recognize. So what was I doing before then? I was living with the world. I was living with those who loved to drink, loved to party, loved to womanize, do this and do that, do all the other things. And uh, the whole process is that we were not perfect people. We were sinners. And he says, all of us also lived among them. We lived among those individuals. We partied with those individuals. We ate with those individuals. We had discussions. And a lot of times it was foolish discussions. We would discuss anything. We'd talk about anything. And the whole thing, it was just foolishness, really. It was just wasted breath. And he says, yes, we lived among them at one time. Listen to him now. Gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature. We were hooked into what? Our sinful nature. We were satisfying our sinful nature, our desires. And then he goes on and he says, <clears throat> And following his desires and thoughts like the rest, we were by nature, here it is, we were by nature objects of wrath. We were the object of God's wrath based on the very fact of our disobedience, of our sinfulness. God has to punish disobedience. The only way God doesn't punish and forgives the disobedient is because we recognize that Christ took our punishment upon himself. He took our chastisement upon himself. The wages of sin is death, and he tasted death for every one of us. And we have to realize it from that part, that Jesus died on our behalf. And we need to understand that. And he says, from that position, we were all under God's wrath. But praise God that Thessalonians 5, 9 says, that he did not appoint us, those who are saved, those who are in Christ Jesus, are not appointed to his wrath. Now, go over again to 1 Thessalonians <clears throat> chapter 1 and verse 10. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 10. He says... Get my eyes focused. The Thessalonians. Boy. Can't find my number. There it is. Something about they says in 
uh, Proverbs, the the hearing goes, the eyes goes, and the seeing goes. Well, I'm at the age where all of them are going. So it takes me a little time, some time to eat. I'm the last one getting up from the table. The grinders are not as good as they used to be. And, and the hearing uh, is the hearing aids. And, and the seeing is the glasses. And I get in trouble sometimes trying to find things between the glasses and the bifocals. So uh, just pray for me. I need much prayer. But in that verse 10 in First Thessalonians, he said, And to wait for the sun from heaven. To wait for the Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. Now, it's giving that area of what God has done, that he raised Jesus Christ from the dead. That he, when he went in that tomb, he was dead, but God raised him from the dead. And he says, Jesus, now catch this last part rescues us from the coming wrath. From what? The coming wrath. The wrath is not here yet, but it is coming. We were all, in a sense, appointed to his wrath that was coming, that is coming. And Jesus is the only one who can save us from that wrath. Remember that first verse that we read in Romans 8, 1, the there is no condemnation appointed unto those who are what? In Christ Jesus. If we're in Christ Jesus, we are not appointed to God's wrath. Once you truly understand that, if we're in Christ Jesus, we're not appointed to his wrath. And we need to <clears throat> take that to heart. Go to Ephesians chapter 5. I want you to go to verse 6 with me because, again, uh, just to clear up this area about are we appointed, not appointed, will we go through his wrath? No, we're not going through his wrath. I want that to be very, very clear. Now, some other things can be questionable, but his wrath is clear. We're not appointed to his wrath. So in uh, Ephesians 5, 6, it says, Let no one deceive you with empty words because of such things. God's wrath <clears throat> comes on those. Now, 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 take this to heart. Listen to what the word says. God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Who are disobedient. Disobedient to what? To his word. And who are willing to obey another rather than him. And that's where the man of lawlessness come in. That's where the Antichrist comes in. We have a choice now. Are we going to believe the Antichrist or are we going to believe the Lord? The Antichrist is already in the world according to First John. And there's going to be one who is yet going to set himself up in the temple of God who is claiming to be God. The question will be, who will the people believe? Well, we have some of that going on today in a sense. We have a lot of other so-called gods that people have to choose from. And it's a a tough world out here that you have to choose and you have to study and you have to really seek to know the truth. 
that's on each and every one of us. You just cannot go about believing whatever you think you want to believe. You're going to have to ask yourself, is Jesus Christ truly God? And can you take his word, apply it to your life, and see him performing and working in your life? So, go over to Second Thessalonians, because we want to kind of like hammer this out a little bit. Because <clears throat> there's going to be this deception. And deception is something that Satan has used for years. <clears throat> he comes as an angel of light. He is the father of lies, according to John and according to what Jesus says. That he is the father of lies. And he's going to, have to deceive. And we're going to find that there's many people who will follow after him. And then when we get into Revelation chapter 13, we will see even more. So, following after the Antichrist, or after the beast, or something that is not of God, is not something new, but it's going to hit a record high. The scripture will say all the world has gone after him. It won't be all because the scripture will explain to us those who have their names written in the book of life would not follow the Antichrist or the beast. And he speaks of those who will not. But there will be quite a few who will follow. And the heart is not just prepared at that moment. It's a society. It is a country. It is a world that is preparing or being prepared by Satan for this. Somebody might say, well, why would God allow it? God allows man free choice to choose his word, to choose the Lord Jesus Christ or reject him. Anything that is against this word or lifestyle that is against this word is lawlessness or sin. And we'll see that also. So, in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, I want to pick up in verse 3, because we did hit the first part of it last, last week. He says, don't let anyone deceive you. Now, that's the first thing that we need to really recognize. People who are not taught, people who will not read or study on their own, are very much so preparing themselves to be deceived. They have nothing to judge what they will hear, nothing to challenge with what they will hear. This is what I challenge with. This is what I judge with to see if it's of the Lord or not. And every one of us have to be willing to do that. And he says, don't let anyone deceive you in any way. For the day 
will not come until the rebellion. Now, whenever you have a rebellion, you have someone who's leading a rebellion. Well, the Antichrist, or when we get over into Revelation 13, the dragon sets up the first beast and the second beast, and there's the dragon who gives the first beast its power, and the second beast receives the power of the first beast, but also are given more power also by the dragon or the Satan, the devil. And you see in Revelations 12 that the dragon is Satan, the devil, who is thrown out of heaven. So it kind of takes us back and forth of what is going on within a sense, present time, past time, the war in heaven and so forth, and he was kicked out. So it, it takes us back and forth. But the thing is this here, who is behind this is Satan. Who is behind this lawlessness is Satan. <clears throat> who is behind this deception is Satan. Who is the leader, the real leader of this rebellion is Satan. And again, rebellion is as witchcraft. It's something that is against God and what God would have us to do or how God would have us to act or behave. And it goes against God's principles and standards. And he said there's a rebellion. <clears throat> that a rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness, there's the word lawlessness. Lawlessness is already taking place. People today will just run and forget about law. They think they have a right to do this and a right to do that, as my wife would say. And it's not so much they think they have a right. They are just being conditioned to do whatever they so desire to do. There is no limitations. There's no stopping. There's nothing in them that says, in a sense, I shouldn't do this. It's wrong. Now, the conscience allows them to feel guilt. But guilt usually comes after the fact. I want to do this, so I'm going to do this. If I rob you, I don't have to go to work. If I steal from you, I don't have to get an eight-hour job. If I do this or do that, I do it because that's what I want to do. I don't weigh if it's right to do it or not. It's just what I want to do. And he says, here is this one who is now called the lawless one. And he's the lawlessness revealed the man doomed to destruction. That's the final part. He's going to be destroyed. He's doomed towards destruction. He doesn't know it, but that's his end. Now, understand, this is a living person that Satan's going to use, and Satan will empower. Go with me back to John, First John, chapter 3, and verse 4. He says, Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. What is the person doing here in Second Thessalonians? Lawlessness, he's sinning. 
He's sinning. Sinning against who? Against God. Who is God's wrath going to come against all those who were disobedient unto him? That God's wrath comes against. Not against the saints, not against the believers, but against those who were constantly living in a state of disobedience towards God. Now, I want you to go a little further with me. He says, he will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God. Everything that is called of God and that is of God, he's going to oppose it. We're seeing so many things of God that's being opposed today. And somehow we're supposed to accept it. Now, I love people, whether you're white, black, yellow, I don't care what nationality. But when we say gay or other groupings in that fashion, it's not so much of a nationality or a ethnicity. It's a behavior that we're talking about. It's a lifestyle that we're talking about. And that lifestyle is totally against God. Even those who just live together. Women and men who have sex outside of marriage. That's wrong. It's sinful. It's lawlessness. They will not follow what God's rule says about sex. Yes, God created sex, but he did not create sex and say, go at it. He put boundaries with it. And the boundaries is marriage. Marriage. And even in, in marriage, he says, yes, you deny when there's a time of prayer or fasting might be going on. But the thing is here, we want to have no rules about it. Sleep with anybody, everybody, whoever we want, anytime we want, any place we want. We just go at it. And God says that's lawlessness and it's destruction. It is ruining a society. It is ruining a country. Our immorality is breaking the family down to zip, to zero. And we say, boy, a son wouldn't sleep with his mother. But yet in Leviticus 18, it tells you you don't sleep with your father's wife. It tells you you don't sleep with your mother's sister, aunt, and so forth. It begins to break all this down. And we're going to see more and more of this stuff becoming a reality. Why? It's going to be lawlessness. It's going to be sinfulness. There's not going to be any rules here or regulations or principles or standards that are going to control humanity. Men and women are going to do exactly what they desire to do or their body wants to do. And he goes on, he says, <clears throat> he opposes everything that is godly or everything that God sets up. And he does something now. He will, over everything that is called godly or is worshipped so that he sets himself up in God's temple. There's going to be a change here. Now, people say, boy, I'm not going to be here. 
I'm going to be gone. Now, God's given us this word for a reason. To, to make sure we're ready and we understand what's going on when we see it. Or we teach it. For that the next generation or those who are living in this time have some idea of what's going on and they can go and reference it from this Bible. Now, go with me to Daniel chapter 9. Then we're going to come over to Matthew 24. But go back to Daniel chapter 9. Leave it there. And uh, get over to Matthew 24. He says, He will confirm a covenant with many for one seventh. That one seventh is part of that 70th year or seven weeks or however it goes there. I'm not good with all the numbers, and some people have taken these numbers and they figured out this, this, and this, and and that 70 weeks are 70 years or 70 centuries, and and uh, this is this. I'm looking at this, and I'm just basically, he will confirm a covenant with many for one-seventh. In the middle of the seven, well, in the middle of the seven is three and a half. Whether it be three and a half years or whatever, in the middle of it, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. Now, he's going to set himself up in this temple. Now, right now, Israel doesn't have a temple. But somehow, Israel is going to be able to build a temple. Now, don't think that the dome have to be destroyed in order to build the temple because new foundings have found out that the Muslim dome does not sit where the temple set, and that the temple can be built without bothering the Muslims' dome. And I know years ago our thought was, boy, there's going to be a war just about tearing that dome down for the temple to be built. Now, new findings have found out they don't have to tear that down or fight about that. They can build on the foundations of the old temple because that is now where the temple was at. Now, I don't know how sure that is. I'm only going by what I've read. And the whole process is that, again, that temple won't be built. And we need to understand this. Until the Sanhedrin is reinstated. Not until the Sanhedrin is reinstated. And uh, I don't have time to go into all of that, but it's some fascinating reading about the purpose of the Sanhedrin being reinstated because they were the ones who were over the sacrifices and so forth that took place in the temple. But <clears throat> what we need to understand that he's going to call himself God in the temple. So someplace this Antichrist is going to be in such a position that he's working with a Jewish nation or rabbis and they're going to somehow build this temple 
in that first three and a half years of this seven year time. But in that middle of that seven, this Antichrist, this one who will set himself up in the temple, calling himself God, will somehow break with the Jewish people. Now, listen to what it says here. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to the sacrifices. So he's going to change on them. He's going to switch. He's going to stop the sacrificing. And that's what it says there, that he himself will be worshipped. He's going to stop all the worshipping, in a sense, that goes to God from the Jewish people in that temple and switch it over to himself. How does he do that? That's answered over in Revelation 13. So he comes back and says, again, in the middle, he will put an end to the sacrifice of the offering and on a wing of the temple, he will set up an abomination. That's what Matthew 24 Leviticus 15 talks about then. Uh, he will set up an abomination. He will set himself up to be God, or as we will read of the beast, an image of himself. And a wing of the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes dissolution until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. God has an end. There's a time that God says it's going to be enough. And Jesus is going to come back and this thing is going to end very quickly. It's not going to be a drawn out war. It's just going to be a word from his mouth and it's over. Go to Matthew 24. And verse, I think it's 15, 24, 15, he said, So when you see standing in the holy place, now most likely, at my age now, I don't think I'm going to see this. Can I experience the rapture? Yes, the rapture can take place anytime. This is the one that we begin to look at the signs, his second coming. And these things that are going to happen. Somebody may say, well, if they're not going to happen in your lifetime, why do you even teach them? We teach that people can be held accountable. It's not that you did not know. There's only one name under heaven and earth whereby men must be saved. That is the name that is going around the world at this very moment. That every person may hear the name of Jesus Christ because there is no other name given whereby men must be saved. Even to the point as we read Revelation, we will find that there will be angels sent to the four corners of the earth declaring that name, that everlasting gospel, the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. God would not have us to be ignorant, but we can choose to be ignorant. And most of the time with us, that's what 
takes place is that we choose to be a people without knowledge and without understanding or knowing. We're not going to know everything. We can know some things. And we can know enough of what God wants us to know in order to make good decisions. And that's why God shares his word with us. That we can make good, sound, spiritual decisions about everything in life. But in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 15, he says, So when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation, spoken through the prophet Daniel, let the readers understand. Here he is standing in the temple in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, declaring himself to be God. We got a little time left. Go over to Revelations 13. Yeah, I keep talking about it. We better get there. It says of this beast that Satan gives power to. So in verse 1 it says, And I saw a beast coming out of the sea. The sea is not so much the sea as we think of the Pacific Ocean, Atlantic Ocean, out there in the sea. It's a sea of people. He come from among people. He has ten horns and seven heads, with ten crowns on his horns. And those are countries or kings and so forth. But yet they all follow him. On each head a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembles a leopard. And here comes the character of, of this beast now. As it describes a leopard, but had feet like those of a bear. And a mouth like that of a lion. Now listen to where his power comes from. The dragon gave the beast his power and his throne. So it is not something that the beast gathers on his own, per se. But there's this unseen force behind this beast that he receives power to do the things that he's going to do. Go over to chapter 12 of Revelation. And it tells you who this dragon is. And there was war in heaven. And remember I told you, it takes us back and forth. The war in heaven did not just start when tribulation started. This is way before Adam and Eve even. And here's this war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough. That all tells us something about God and Satan. Satan cannot overpower God. So when Jesus speaks that, boy, Satan would not overpower his church, he meant that. Because the church received his power and his strength through who? Through Jesus. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And he says, 
The dragon and his angels fought back, but he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. They lost their place. They were put out of heaven. We don't know date, time, but what we know is that they were put out of heaven according to scripture. Now, look what else takes place here. When you come into verse 9, he says, The great dragon, in chapter 12, the great dragon was hurled down. That ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan. That great serpent called the devil or Satan. That's the dragon. The great dragon. And this dragon is the one who gives what? Power to this first beast. This first beast is a living man. And Satan empowers him. It's part of that triune part that it was God who empowered who? Jesus Christ in a sense. And yet Jesus Christ being God, but he laid down his authority, his powers in a sense, in order to put on this flesh and blood and show us the example of how to depend upon the Father who would provide for us. Well, here is this beast who is now dependent in a sense upon this dragon, Satan, to be empowered to do the things that he's going to do. Now, stay here with me a little bit. Because it's going to show this beast somewhat trying to duplicate something that took place with Jesus Christ. He says, The dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. A fatal wound that he could die, but yet he didn't die. He was healed. Jesus Christ was brought forth from the grave, brought back from death. This beast is being what? being brought back, in a sense, from death. He goes on and he says, The whole world was astonished and followed the beast because what was demonstrated and seen caused many people to be deceived and tricked into believing a lie or believing this one who opposes God and everything that is godly and who will spin this lie that is talked about in Second Thessalonians. And goes on and says, The whole world was astonished and followed the beast. Men worshipped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast. Well, if you're worshipping the dragon, who are you worshipping? Satan. What has Satan always desired? To be worshipped like God. To be worshipped like God. That has been the desire of Satan from the beginning. To be worshipped like God. And he begins to set this up. Well, we're running out of time, but we'll pick up next week right here in chapter 13.
because we want to tie it back into Thessalonians and we want to see how this fits and what's taking place. But we want to thank you for lending us your ear and I pray that you'll go back over the scriptures that we looked at and that you will allow God to speak to you in a very personal way. And the only thing you have to do is say, Lord, I'm reading these and I'm not having any understanding. Would you speak to my heart? Ask God to speak to you. And have a sincere desire to hear from him. Will you hear it in an audible voice per se? Like I'm speaking to you? Most likely not. But in here, in here, you'll know it's not you and it's not somebody else around you, but God is speaking. And don't be fearful of hearing what others might say, because God sometimes puts us in a room that people are talking and we hear our answer sometime through other people. But God knew they were going to be there and you're going to be there and this is what you asked for and now he's giving it to you to someone else. So I want to challenge you, Lord, speak to me. Really ask him to do it. Don't be deceived. Don't be tricked. God is God. The Holy Spirit is God. Jesus Christ is God. The triune God. God speak to me. And he'll do it. And he'll take you places in this book that you thought you read and bring new understanding to him. Well, God bless you and I pray as we go through this, and like I said, we're going to be on this study for a while. But I hope that we can bring insight and some clarity, not confusion, but more understanding. Not answering everything, but answering some things. So I pray that uh, God would use me, and I pray that you'll be praying that God would also use me, but that God also would speak to you. That you are the one hungering and thirsting for him. You want to know him. Amen. Father, we thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Continue, Lord, to bring us closer and closer to thee through your word. And somehow, oh God, break down every barrier that somehow stops us from drawing closer to you. Would you, O oh God, deliver us from our own unbelief and set us free, O oh God, from struggling with all the different philosophies that are out here. But Lord, anchor us in your word. Teach us from your word. May your Holy Spirit be the one who convicts us, not only of our sins, but of your truth. 
And may you, O God, be glorified. You be glorified. You, O Lord, be glorified. You're the one who said, if you be lifted up, you would draw all men unto yourself. Would you do so, Lord Jesus? And we'll give you praise and give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. And again, if you're in Akron area and you're looking for a church, please stop in and visit with us. And if we are not something that uh, fits your cup of tea or fits what you're looking for, and we can help you find the church where you'll be satisfied, we'll be willing to even do that. Uh, there are some good churches here in Akron area. And uh, they're teaching the word of God. And that's where I pray that you would want to be under a teaching ministry, someone who is opening up this Bible, who is going line upon line and who's showing you God's truth. Amen. Well, God bless you. May God keep you. Moms, have a wonderful, wonderful Mother's Day. Children, honor your mothers today. Honor them. You're not going to have them with you. One day is going to be absent from the body and present with the Lord. So why you have mom with you? Love them. Treasure them. Do good unto them. God bless you. God keep you. See you next Sunday. Love it.